0: you believed you could achieve any success you want, what would you do differently? What would you think differently? Thank you for listening to On the Air with Jeanette Sibley. It's your time for success. I'm coming to you from the Mile High City of Denver, Colorado. My focus each week is to share with you success tips, insights, and how to do it that help you achieve the results and successes you've always wanted in your life, in your business, and in your career. Are you ready to uncover the success you've always wanted? Keep listening. So how many of you have have ever attended a meeting? And I'm sure those of you listening, everyone would say, well, yeah, who hasn't? And some of you may be doing that drive home and just got out of one of those awful meetings. And so how many people have actually taken the time to figure out what they need to do to have more effective meetings. Probably a lot of people would say, hmm, not too many. Yeah, we've all grown to hate meetings and they feel like they're such a big waste of time. Again, just think of that last meeting you just attended. You sat there wishing you were somewhere else or, and then you left feeling drained, not really sure what else you could get done that day because you just felt so tired. But you know what, meetings are a necessity for growing businesses and impacting communities worldwide. We need them to create new ideas and keep up to date on what's happening. We need them when designing, managing, and executing projects and programs. Because as most of you know, being a Lone Ranger doesn't work well in business or keeping your team engaged. So how can we improve our virtual group and one-on-one meetings? How do we engage others, have fun, and create positive outcomes for our meetings? My guest today is Dr. Ronald Beach. He is the author of The Virtual Divide. He'll share with us secrets of how to conduct productive meetings that don't waste time and produce amazing results. I've read his book, and it provides insights that are often overlooked by meeting facilitators and team members. In a moment, I will have Ron introduce himself in 20 words or less. As I've mentioned in my other podcast and in my book, It's Time to Brag," it's important to keep your intro short and on point to capture others' attention. Ron, welcome. How are you doing today?
1: Hello, Jeanette, and great to be here. Uh, My name is Ron Beach. Uh, I've had 25 years corporate experience with Hitachi and Western Digital, and as an associate professor of an online university, with over a hundred full-time faculty, and eight hundred associate faculty, and forty thousand online students all around the U.S.
0: So you might know one or two things about doing meetings, right? Oh, a few. <laughs> well, that's why it's my pleasure to have you on today. And you know what? When we were talking before we uh, this podcast. We were talking about your primary focus, and that is to help entry-level supervisors who've not had any training yet or mentoring on how to conduct meetings, and the mature manager, the managers who've been around for a while, who are having to reinvent themselves to work in the virtual world. So why are these areas so important to you? And why is there not more training being offered to these key players in businesses and communities?
1: You know, those are excellent questions. With the younger, uh, new entry supervisors, uh, most of the time they are very good at what they're doing in technical. That's why they're promoted in the first place to supervise their positions. But they aren't giving management training normally for about five to six years. And so and it's not that their managers don't want to mentor. Most time they don't have the time. So they're struggling on their own. And when you go into a virtual environment, it's even compounded. And when it comes to the mature uh, managers, you know we've managed our organizations like my factories on one to one, your use of visual communications, meetings, and those type. And all of a sudden, now you go to having to understand technology, working online, uh, how do you communicate across the country, across the world? And how do you develop trust, you know, in a virtual world? You know, it's lonely on that virtual world. And, and so your job is how to bridge that. And that takes time to reinvent yourself. You're using the same tools, but you're having to use them differently.
0: Yeah, I think that that's, a, that's really great insight. And I know a lot of times bosses and leaders are already feeling lonely at the top. Of their department or their company and so also having this double whammy occur where everything's virtual makes people feel even more isolated so how have you as somebody who's been in the workplace for many years and you've had an amazing you have an amazing background how have you been able to have meetings make you and those that you talk with and work with and consult with successful?
1: Well, basically, I have a, a program that I call FCR, and the F stands for Formats of Communications. You need to understand and learn what are the different technologies that are available, as we're doing with Zoom, uh, many of the others, uh, Skype. There's tons of free sources out there uh, for, for anybody who can get into and you need to understand not only that they're there, but how to use them. You know, it's, it's like having a toolbox. You, you know, you have to use the right tool for the right job. And that's the challenge when it comes to the communications. The C is communicating means more than words. And so you really have to get to understand how to communicate, how to use it as a, uh, when you're you're not in sight, so how are you going to build that trust? How are you going to build the feeling of your People that you're you're behind them you you you've got their back now you're keeping them informed you know it's lonely out there you know they, it's very easy to feel like you're you don't work with anybody all you do is get a job assignment by emails and that's and that's not really a working relationship. Then R stands for you know relationships, understanding your people's goals, objectives, what are their what's their aspirations, what's their family life. This is how. You know, we we're always talking about having to earn trust, but that's something that comes over time. And But understand it is how do you, you know, you kind of tie that into communications. How do you use it to actually build it, whether someone's on the other side of the office space, you know, in the same building or on the other side of the world?
0: Mm. That's the big challenge, isn't it?
1: It, it is. And it's, it's a point of, it's not that managers, for example, don't know the tools. They are, and that's why they're experts. That's why they're that's at the we at the level. But you're having to use different skill sets. you have to change, emphasize communications. We used to key on visual cues. You as well watch expressions. So how can you use technology to bridge that? And there are certain cases where video is not the best way. You know, it's you know how do you take the pressure off, but how do you maintain use of technology? How many times you've been in a virtual meeting, and you hear people wrestling papers or key kick, uh, type it on the keyboard. I had a, a meeting of over 50 professors and somebody didn't have their mic, uh, muted. So we had to listen to a grandfather argue with a granddaughter about her bra strap showing <laughs> oh, uh, another professor didn't realize his camera is on. So while the executive Dean is giving a speech, he's there doing martial arts training. Yeah. You, know, you know, you need to understand. <laughs> What technology and the different steps to how to kind of watch your back at the same time?
0: Well, and it it reminds me of my many years in corporate America and as a consultant in having trained thousands of people on how to conduct a meeting, but also how to manage a project. And two of the things I always looked at was the logistical side, you know, making sure that everybody has a seat at the table, uh, everything's ready to go before the time to start and then you start on time. And then there's the human side. The human side of meetings are often ignored. Uh, We have people that come in and and talk, they're like a dictator. And then we have people who are facilitators who don't have the skill on how to manage people. And so what happens is a team member takes over and they become either difficult, uh, they dominate the group, Uh, and pretty soon everybody's just feeling like, why am I here? I'm not feeling like I'm valued. And I think that's that's really something that today with the virtual aspect included, it makes it even more challenging. So Ron, why are meetings so gut-wrenchingly boring? Like what is that? Like whether it's one-on-one in a group where you're face-to-face with people, or virtually? How come meetings are so boring?
1: I think part of it goes back to even our own philosophies of meetings in the first place. You know, everything's scheduled in half a minute, you know, 30 minutes or an hour a meeting. When I took over manufacturing at LSI Logic, we had two hour meeting every morning with about 25 people on production and I reduced it down to 15 minutes. Wow. Because you know, there's just certain things you really need to, to know for that day. And then I use that same basic concept. I call it one-on-one. I uh, you know, call it a stand-up meeting. Because think about when you watch somebody coming into a, a conference room and they sit down in a chair, you'll see them starting to get a little comfortable in that chair and kind of, you know, sitting back. You've automatically extended that meeting by 20 minutes by doing nothing.
0: Yes. And so how
1: do you use that concept? You structure. It, you have an agenda for the meeting. You stick to it. Uh, if there's, you know, why sit there and go through a PowerPoint, you know, a presentation? Send it to them ahead of time. Have them go through it on their own, and just say, hey, "Let's talk about some highlights." You know, be smart with your time and respect their time. Many of us spend a huge amount of our week in meetings. Oh, a huge amount. So respect their time. Most of the time, I have my meetings. The average about 15 minutes, uh, or they have a matter of uh, maybe 30 minutes on the high side. That's because, like on Mondays, I have one-on-ones, which are telephone calls. I talk one-on-one with people. The one thing we don't talk about, we don't talk about work. This is where you start building the trust and communications. You find out what you know. You get to understand their goals, their objectives. You, they get to where they see you as. Somebody who's their support mechanism, not just their boss. And not only when they hear from you, it's not just to give them a new job assignment or they were in trouble.
0: So why, why do you think this more hands-on approach? Because I would assert that some of the people listening here would say, you know, I just don't have time to do that. So why should they make the time to do that? Like why is that time well spent? Getting to know people outside of the meeting.
1: Oh boy, that's that's a loaded question. Think of, you know, every manager and supervisor out there can tell you how HR problems just drag us down, suck the energy right out of us, and just eat up our whole week. And so, what I could I consider uh, my one-on-one talks on Monday is what I call priming the pump. In order to get something out, you have to be willing to invest something in. 15 minutes per person isn't a whole lot of time. Managers, we don't have the time. We don't, and I understand that. But if you invest just a little bit of time, even, even if it's only a 10-minute conversation, you're priming the pump. You're putting something in so that your other meetings become much more effective. Uh, you have less adversarial relationships. You have less personnel issues. You can work on Accountability. Ahead of time, and so all these types of things that make your your work week challenging. I have other terms that come to mind, but
0: challenging. Yeah, we need to keep this uh, GP. Let's keep this easy ready. But the
1: managers
0: (laughs) and and supervisors know what
1: I'm referring to, and and how by investing some time, which we don't have a lot of, and so you're you're making a valuable contribution. But by investing that time, priming the pump in communications you get a payback that is huge in in the longer term.
0: Well, I think that's really critical what you're saying. By restructuring our time and our perception of how we see our people, of how we treat them, uh, can make a huge difference when we get to meetings. I know when I was running a couple of very, very large projects, I did a lot of one-on-one like what you're talking about, but I didn't do it in a structured manner like what you're talking about. And it really did make a difference because then when we all came together, there weren't a lot of surprises, if any, and people felt like they were uh, a valued part of the team because people had taken the time to get to know them as people. And I think that's the big key today is relationship building.
1: It is also showing levels of respect. Uh, mm, across yes. The board. I, in eight years, again, I have my regular set times for the, like one-on-ones, and it depends on the person and what time, because they're in different time zones around the country. So I don't want to put them on the clock, say at 8, eight o'clock their time, just because it's convenient for me. But you, in eight years, I've only maybe changed a, a meeting schedule maybe three four times based on maybe the executive dean or the president. Wanting my attention, and so it's just known in my organization that I have these set times for the people that I go with. This shows respect to your employees as well. How many times have you had a meeting and it gets canceled, rescheduled, canceled, rescheduled, already you shifted your day? You already moved things around, or you know you're you're working from home. You already told your spouse, no, we can't go to lunch or breakfast because I have a meeting at ten. All of a sudden, no, it's not there. It's just. How do you kind of do this? And to showing respect for them as a professional that they are.
0: Well, I think that's key because too often we don't. It's sort of like the trickle down effect. You know, it, it impacted me, so it's going to impact you. But there's not that kindness that needs to be in, in the awareness of the impact. I think a lot of times we just think, well, that's the way it is. But you know, people take time. It takes time to be ready for meetings. It's like, I've gotta be dressed a certain way if I'm going to a meeting. I need to make sure that I've at least done my homework for most meetings. Sometimes you're called to a meeting and you have no reason. I mean, you just don't know why, right? Um, And sometimes we don't take the time to ask, why are we having this meeting? What do I need to prepare? And so it really does become one of those situations where we inadvertently hurt our effectiveness as bosses and leaders by not treating our employees, our team members, others like vendors with more respect.
1: Oh, it's also the point like when you're having the meetings, what do you want to accomplish with the meetings? There's the old adage, you praise in public. You critique and mentor in private, and so you're in the team meeting as a manager. What you acknowledge, you'll get more of. And so you you do your positive recognition. If someone has an issue, you know, I, I'll talk to them offline. And I and I'm no I'm, I'm a believer in, you know, sometimes it's better to to call instead of write or speak to for someone in person, than write an email. You know, and so I'll call them on the phone and they'll pick it up. I will say, oh hi, John. Let's bond. <laughs> then they'll know we need to work on something. And But, you know, they're at the point where I call them just to say hello, just to make it, so they know I'm not just calling when they're in trouble or I may call them and say, you have what you need resources? That's my role as a role model is to be a resource supplier, a barrier buster. You want to make them where they feel you're giving them information, you're keeping up what's going on. Fear creates other manager. So communicate, sometimes there's things you can tell them. It's better to say, well, you're right, you have a good question, but I can't give you an answer. People can handle that. But just to ignore them, no, it didn't work out very well.
0: Yeah, those are, that, that is actually great advice, thank you. Um, my next question is, so we've talked about before meetings, when we're not in a meeting, how to make sure, as you call it, we're priming the pump. We're keeping that relationship on a positive tone. If there are issues or things that need to be addressed, we're doing that one-on-one, or at least guiding the person on what they need to do without taking up everybody else's time. So let's say we're now in a meeting. How can we make those meetings more productive and engaging so that when we leave, we feel energized, ready to go, excited to be working on this project or program?
1: I use a lot of different tools. Uh, you know, in the online environment, I use scorecarding. I use activities to where each of the faculty, they track and record their activities to goals and objectives. And, and, every, and it's out there for everybody. We even end the course surveys. We share them. So that they can see what the students are saying about the instructor and good and bad. Mm-hmm. And, but that's, that's, an informal way of peer pressure to say, well, these folks are really kind of getting good feedback. Maybe I need to step up my game. At the same time, if you had this uh, communication where everybody's tracking their activities and everything else, and they share it amongst the whole group, that's when they, you know, I've actually seen more email coming back between each other saying, boy, you're really, you're really rocking on that, or you're really going through, that positive motivation goes much further than what anything we could even do as managers. So by sharing the information, acknowledging it, and and if somebody has an issue, address it as, all right, do you have resources you need? Can I help you? All right, what's the case may be. Remember, they're out there in the virtual world. They're all by themselves. And I've been in environments where I, I didn't meet my my manager for nine months.
0: Nine months. Oh, my goodness.
1: So and then you think you're doing okay. Up. No, maybe you're not doing what they <laughs> expect. But if you don't know what they expect, it's kind of hard to kind of go along lines.
0: Well, that's very right true, And I think underlying everything you just said is the word accountability. Being held accountable for what we say we will do. Making that commitment to taking responsibility for our meetings. Uh, I think a lot of times we think it's up to the facilitator or the team leader to do all that. But in my book, I believe team members, uh, participants are also responsible for ensuring that they have what they need. And if they don't, they stand up and speak up in such a way that is a positive contribution to the rest of the the group.
1: And the other thing, remember, you're under a lot of microscope amongst your group. You're being measured by what you do, by not what you say. So if you say, well, John, that's a good issue. Uh, Let me get back to you next Tuesday. I have a journal that I've kept for decades and decades. I write everything down. Even if I don't have an answer, I'll respond. I'll say, well, I don't have an answer for you yet because I've made a commitment to respond. Now, I expect the same thing going the other way. Mm-hmm. they make a commitment to me, I expect them to maintain the same level of professionalism. So it's just uh, you emulate what you want to see more of.
0: Yeah, so what are some of the, um, remember we talked a little bit earlier in this podcast about the logistics and the human side of meetings. What are a couple of the secrets that you employ that we haven't already covered uh, that make the meetings, whether they're face-to-face as a group, one-on-one, or virtual-slash-remote, what are those secrets that help us engage more effectively with one another when we're in these meetings? spending time to
1: really understand the the people. You have generational issues. You have age, gender. People are different. Uh, I use Belpin team role assessment to understand what, what people enjoy doing. And so when it comes time to meetings, that you say, oh, this person, we have one who he loves marketing. So what do we do? We let him develop what we call the Baba Boys. And he does all this, uh, all this marketing stuff and advertisement, things he enjoys. And he's fantastic at it. He's motivated. And another one, he, he likes uh, on the administrative side. So he likes to do that. I have one who's an accountant. Lord knows what accountants like to do. She loves to do
0: research. <laughs> They love to crunch those numbers. <laughs>
1: oh, but there's things that people, you know, what they enjoy doing
0: mm-hmm. is what,
1: what gets them motivated, but it takes time for you as a manager and supervisor to understand what is it that what's their button. There's going to be times when we have to make those hard calls and that's part of the job too. But all you can do is try to find their button and just you know, work, work with it going through. And it, and it is, I've had tremendous success. I'm so proud of the organizations I've been with. And they always, I don't care where I set the bar, they'll they'll get past me as if I was standing still. But you have to trust them.
0: And I think that's key is to build on strengths. A lot of times when people get into these groups, particularly if it's a community-based group, like a, a not-for-profit or a trade association, something of that nature, sometimes we like to do try take on something that may not be our strength, and then we don't shine real well. So I think it's also important to the person that's raising their hand to say, hey, I'll do that as well as the boss who may be saying, hey, Joe, can you help me out here? Or Sally, this would really be something better for you to address. What can you, you know, how can you help us? That kind of thing. So when we're, so that's an important secret. And when we're actually in the meeting, what are some things that are important? I know for, you know, having done this for many decades, that one of the things I love to do is go round robin. And that's, and that's an old term. But what it means is that we make sh- I make sure that everybody gets a chance to speak up. And I think that's important because even though the first time you go around, people may say, mm, "Now I don't have anything to say. The second or third time going around, I promise you they will say something. <laughs> and it, what's really fascinating to me is when you do that, when you really value their input, really cool ideas get created. And then from there, learning how to brainstorm effectively. Because I think most uh, leaders, participants in meetings, they do a horrible job of brainstorming. Oh, there's a good idea, let's run with that. As opposed to making sure everybody has had a chance to participate. So there's a lot of techniques here, I think, that are important. And then aligning. I think a lot of groups get themselves in trouble where they kind of do the democratic, let's vote kind of thing, as opposed to let's align, let's see what we need to do so that it's a win, win, win for everyone. What's been your experience in any of that, or maybe something there you can add on?
1: Many years ago, I was at a training conference, and I was speaking with a consultant, and it was something you said back then, it stuck with me all these years, is that, no one washes a rental car. So what, what he was referring to is that people don't take care of something that's not theirs. Uh. And so if the object is, in, you know, as you call it, round robin, I have where everybody has an agenda and speaking to it, is giving them where everybody has a feeling that part of that activity or project, they have part of the ownership. And you respect them because you value their opinions and ideas. And you want to do that? You want to do that part in a public forum? I always have a list of questions. John, you know, with your what about this? What's your what do you think? You want their opinions. Uh, someone else, the accountant, is say, you know, people have a hard time with statistics. What would you think we should do? You know, show them, give an opportunity to contribute. And so you want them to take part of the ownership in order to take care of it. If it's just going to be because you mandate it. Any organization will be mediocre if you mandate it. You will only get world-class performance if you get them to want to do it.
0: I think that is so key. Say that again. I want, I want the listeners to really <laughs> get that because that is key.
1: Any, anyone can mandate an organization to be mediocre, but you will only get world-class performance by getting the people to want to do it.
0: And I th- again, I just think that's key. Uh, a lot of times people... It's not that people don't, that teams don't want to do great. It's just that they don't know what needs to be done or how to do it. And they're looking to the team leader, the facilitator, or each other on how to do better. How do you, or what would you recommend? I've done a lot of work with with people that are what we call difficult team members. And all of us can be a difficult team member. I mean, there, there's... There's no mystery there. You know, we do our side conversations. Uh, we try to take people off the team off track. We come up with issues that are not really issues. But what have you? What has been your experience on how to keep the team conflict minimized?
1: Well, wow. uh, I'm one of those. i you know, the old HR adage: document, document, document. And, you know, have a conversation with someone. And I, I'm a real strong believer in mentoring and guiding, not just giving performance reviews. You know, that's a one-time-a-year type thing that there should never be a surprise in a performance review, good or bad.
0: And that's a but, whole nother conversation uh, is in performance reviews. <laughs> yeah.
1: But if, if you're mentoring, remember, you, have, you, you can have quarterly sit-downs and just like a, an online conference call. You can go over the results. Remember, I use scorecarding, measurements. So you're measuring by something that's not opinion-based. It's, it's an, a results by results. And someone can have a terrible attitude, and you can kind of work on that and it's not what they say, it's how they say it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe someone from a different part of the country has different mannerisms on how to communicate with people. And sometimes you kind of have to remind them. Or someone who's fresh out of the military may have issues on verbiage. Uh, that might might slip into a conversation. You might have to remind them that you know, you, you know you're in different environments. Those are you have to spend. but there are going to be making times you have a conversation. I always back it up on the emails to John. You know, here's what we we talked about. We, here's what we agreed upon. Make sure that you know I, that I got it right. Is is not taken negative. It's taken as respectful because you're trying to, you're trying to make sure they improve and give them the tools and like I said, there's times where you got to make those hard decisions. It's not that they're a bad employee, but sometimes they're just not in the right place.
0: And I think that's key. I mean, there's, a, there's many times when people are being difficult on a team. It's not the right team for them. Or they're behaving in such a way that it makes it hard for other people to want to get on the same page with them. Yeah, and I think like yours, what you're saying is is great because sometimes those people who can be uh, the 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 rabble rouser, as you might call them, or the rebel, sometimes have really great ideas. They're just not presenting them in such a way that others feel comfortable. So I think that's I, important.
1: I call those my Ralphs.
0: Say more about that.
1: Most managers don't want the Ralphs. They don't want the headache people uh, And actually I'm just the opposite I do because if I can come up with ideas and suggestions and work on policies procedures That get the Ralphs behind you, then you know, you've really taken a three the fine-tune and got it through and most of the time it's a matter of Maybe they weren't listened to or treated with respect. You know, they have different baggage. They bring to the table and I've normally had an instance so you're like a company doctor. You're going in, and you're trying to work the symptoms to kind of correct the issues. And they'll normally turn out to be the most dedicated employee that you have.
0: Absolutely. I've had that experience as well. Well, we could talk on and on and on, and this has been a great interview. So thank you, Ron, for your time and your insights. I have a question that I'd like to ask all of my guests, and that is, what does success mean to you?
1: For me, as developing tomorrow's leaders today, on any given day, you'll have seventeen to 18,000 online jobs for supervisors. Right now, this morning, there was 12 government agencies looking for virtual leaders. I want to have it to where when I, when I have people contact me on LinkedIn, they say, here's where I went. Here's what I'm doing. You know, there, this, That's where, as an educator, uh, that's what you're wanting to help somebody do. Uh, and help them in their their live streams. And that's just really where I get the most satisfaction out of it.
0: That's great. I I love that. So, again, thank you, Ron. Uh, I believe the primary takeaway from this conversation today uh, to have successful meetings is that it starts with you as the boss, the manager, the leader. But it doesn't stop there. Everybody has something at stake here. And if you learn how to conduct effective meetings, whether again it be one on one, groups, or virtually, I think you can just wow companies. I I read a statistic that only 10% of projects actually succeed. 10% is really low. And there's 40% that kind of rubber stamp stuff, (laughs) they don't really do anything. And then there's 50% that don't even try. And I will assert, it's because the people who are responsible and again I believe everyone's responsible but the people responsible for these meetings are not doing what they can do to make them effective so whether you are a facilitator or a team member uh, again I believe everyone is responsible for energizing a meeting and having everyone feel valued and getting the intended results again that that is what it is For those facilitators who love to wing it, I think you've heard today why that just is not encouraged. The URL for Dr. Ronald Beach's book, The Virtual Divide, will be provided in the podcast overview for On the Air with Jeanette Seibley. I will also include my website for those of you who have teams needing to be trained in the art of effective meetings. I wanna thank you. For listening to On the Air with Jeanette Sibley, it's your time for success. Tune in next week for more insights on how to achieve the success you've always wanted with my straight talk for dynamic results. Until next week, enjoy a successful week.